Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome to the Innovate for Good conference. My name is Danielle Glynn. I'm the Senior Director at the University of San Francisco for External Engagement in the School of Management. We're delighted to have you for this thought-provoking day. To kick off the conference, it is my pleasure to introduce Don Heller, Provost and Vice President of Academic Affairs and a Professor of Education at the University of San Francisco. Don is responsible for the university's five schools, libraries, academic affairs, and much, much more. Please welcome him to the Commonwealth Club stage, our Provost, Don Heller. Thank you, Danielle, and um, I um, appreciate the introduction. It's it's wonderful for me to be here, and one of the things I love about this conference is that it's just a, a great example of the mission of both the University of San Francisco as a Jesuit Catholic institution and the School of Management. If you see any of our banner flags around the city, you'll see that our motto is change the world from here. But when I'm talking about our mission, I usually like to change a little bit, and I usually like to say, change the world for good from here. And that's really what this conference is about. I mean, don't get me wrong. In the School of Management, we want all of our graduates to be able to go out and earn a healthy salary, hopefully contribute some of that money back to the university when they become successful and have paid off their student loans. But it's much more than that. And we want them to be able to go out there and do work that's not just going to enrich stockholders, not just going to enrich venture capitalists, but in fact is going to enrich the communities and communities in which they choose to live. And that's what this afternoon is about, is we've got a number of great panels with people talking to you about how the work that we can do around business and entrepreneurship can really help and enrich our communities in a way that helps to ensure that the riches are spread among a wide swath of people and not heading in the direction of more income inequality as we have in this country and have been going for a couple of decades now. So again, I want to welcome all of you for being here. I hope you will engage and participate in the discussions this afternoon and enjoy your time. Thank you. And my most important duty is to introduce to you the Dean of the School of Management, Elizabeth Davis. Dean Davis. Thanks, Don. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Liz Davis, uh, Dean of the School of Management, and I'd like to welcome everybody to our fourth uh, annual Innovate for Good conference. This year, in collaboration with the Commonwealth Club, we're really glad you could take the time to join us today for a really exciting afternoon of discussions, really around social innovation and leaders on the landscape. A few words about this conference. Uh, the conference is funded by the Harari Fund for Ethical Leadership and Social Innovation at USF. And they've funded this uh, Innovate for Good for the last four years. The conference itself was made possible through an endowment from Alan Davis and Mary Lou Dowray honoring the work of Dr. Oren Harari, who was a faculty member in the School of Management. Dr. Harari was really a compassionate and very driven educator, an inspirational consultant to many, and an internationally renowned for his work in strategy and leadership as a scholar. His work in the business community really emphasized strategic transformational leadership with a focus on globalization, technology, and innovation. 
As part of the Harari legacy, this conference was designed promoting innovative leadership for social benefit, a direct embodiment of the university's mission. In other words, a leadership perspective that really emphasizes producing greater stakeholder value. So today's conference brings together business, government, nonprofit leaders to really uh, discuss sustainable business practices, social impact investing, and social innovation in our cities and the environment. The afternoon, I think, really promises to be a very rich dialogue on public-private partnerships, the transformation of organizations, and also an opportunity to inspire our School of Management students to become change-driven, courage, courageous, inclusive, optimistic, and performance-focused leaders, ones that Dr. Harari really envisioned. I'd also like to take the opportunity to thank the Commonwealth Club, George and Kimberly, for being our tireless partners uh, in this conference. Also, a thank you uh, to Billy Riggs uh, for chairing and to Danielle, Susan, and Michelle for coordination of the event. We really want to make this day an experience for our students, alumni, faculty, and friends of the university to continue the important conversations and drive innovation in our city, San Francisco. So we hope that you enjoy this afternoon adventure. And now I'll turn this over to Billy Riggs uh, to give you an overview of the day. Billy? Welcome. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm a professor of management, as was described, and um, as someone who built a career kind of focused on urban systems, I couldn't be excited, more excited about being here and talking about kind of all of these different uh, connectivities we have in a place like San Francisco, but also uh, globally. So we're going to talk about uh, innovating for good, uh, and I think a lot of our dialogue today will be about cities uh, and celebrating leadership and social innovation in them. Um, so as we get settled, I just want to make some logistical announcements, but, uh, before we do so, we're going to try to keep things fairly interactive today. And so given that I come from a background and worked as a, as an engineering technician for the Coast Guard when I first came here to the Bay Area, um, I want to actually take it back to my roots, which is transport. Um, so, um, if you have one of these newfangled devices that connects to the internet, or if you still have one of these phones that has a dial pad, um, what we'd like to do is to, to get some, uh, pulse in terms of how you, how you might have got here this morning. Um, did you walk? Did you take a horse and buggy? Did you take a boat or ferry? Um, some of you may have seen this when you walked, when you walked in, but um, so if you want to cue that up right now, we should see that online. Um, and if you're already past that, you, you may actually see uh, that uh, we also want to take a pulse in terms of what you feel like innovation uh, for good means. And I think that... Um, what we're doing now is we're going to do some social norming. We're going to actually uh, test kind of where we are, and we'll come back to this. Um, so, uh, we've, did anybody say, okay, so we may actually be queued past this in your devices. Um, but, so, uh, as we start off, let's just uh, look and see kind of what we see here emerging. Um, is this emblematic of what we uh, believe as a group? Oh, look, we got some emojis popping up. Uh, so, um, you know, I think a lot of what we'll see today really will be focused on uh, this idea of innovation, uh, but how do we preserve uh, the things that we value, the things that, that bring us smiles, the things that bring us community? Um, 
So with that, uh, I think what I would like to do is just kind of go through some logistics, and we'll still see this populate. Um, it's going to be very quick and very interactive today. So what I'd like you to do, if you need to, to step outside and take a call, if you need to do something, just try to be as courteous as you can. We'd like all of your phones to be on silent. Clearly, I'm encouraging you to, to use them. Uh, but also, uh, we just want to keep things rolling and be as respectful uh, of this environment as we can. Uh, so do that. Uh, our flow for the day will be as such. We're going to have uh, two panels back to back after we hear from uh, Professor Davis and Dean Davis as well as MTC director, brand new executive director, Therese McMillan. Um, before they come up, though, I, I just think it's important to also emphasize that you do have uh, comic cards on all of your seats. And what I'd like you to do, if, if you have a question, a burning question during this this talk, we're going to be roaming through the aisles. Uh, write it down. We'd love to actually entertain those. Uh, and we'll bring it up. We'll be able to actually prioritize and sort through those. Every uh, every panel will be able to take some time for audience Q&A. Um, but we'd like those to be on cards so we can be as efficient as, efficient as, as, efficient as possible. Um, so with that said, I think it's time for me to introduce uh, both Dean Davis as well as Executive Director uh, McMillan. And so just let me uh, I just just properly introduce Dean Davis because, it, it, um, you know, she's been uh, the, she was the first uh, uh, female dean in the 95 year history of USF. Um, she's yeah, proper. And I think you're going to see, you're going to see a very, uh, strong, uh, female contingency here today. Um, she's an expert in strategic management and organizational dynamics. Uh, she has a, uh, she graduated of Bernard as well as her doctorate from, uh, Wharton in Pennsylvania. So Dean Davis, if you wouldn't mind coming up, uh, for a chat with, uh, Someone who we're very happy to have back here in the Bay Area. Um, come on up, Therese McMillan. Um, Therese had a 20-year career, um, 20-plus year, I believe, with MTC, uh, which is our regional uh, governing body, basically for transportation, and now uh, really for uh, housing and land use issues. So you can think of her as uh, is kind of the glue that holds all of our disparate cities together here in the Bay Area. Um, I'm going to leave it at that and let you all have a dialogue, but um, let's just welcome them with a hand clap and thank you all of you for being here as well. All right. Thank you, Billy. And we'll be watching for the cloud as it changes over these next couple of hours. So keep using your phones and entering uh, so that we have a sense of where people are over the next couple of hours. Today is a, a real opportunity to really kick off this uh, afternoon event by really talking with uh, Therese McMillan, who is the new executive director of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. And really, let me start, uh, Therese, by asking you, uh, well, first of all, welcome you back Thank to the you. Bay Area uh, as the new executive director and ask you how it feels to be back, uh, really where it, where it all began. And then also, maybe you could give the audience a feel for uh, what the Metropolitan Transportation Commission is all about. So let's start yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Liz. And thank you all for having me here. Um, it was 25 years, so quarter century, we can admit to that, that I worked with uh, MTC. I joined them uh, right after I got out of grad school at Cal. 
and had gotten my, yeah, go bears, um, had gotten my, um, uh, dual degree in city and regional planning and civil engineering science and transportation. And so, you know, over those 25 years and, and, you know, living in the Bay area and actually raising a family in the Bay area, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I learned immediately was how to manage in a diverse and complex uh, institutional and political environment. Um, in the long arc of MTC's portfolio, and they did a lot, I was started out in transit coordination and assistance, then went into long-range planning, air quality planning, managed uh, funding and all the grants, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that, you know, mm-hmm. went to all of our different transit organizations, uh, did legislation, and in the last nine years sort of pulled that all together as the deputy executive of policy. So that was, you know, a, a unique experience insofar as, as a met, as a MPO, Metropolitan Planning Organization, and there's many of them across the country. Uh, MTC had a much bigger, um, portfolio to work with, mm-hmm. um, some by state statute and our enabling legislation. But I think also the fact that it was in an area that was as complex and diverse as the nine-county Bay Area. I think we'll get to that in another uh, question. So with that background, then going to Washington, D.C., was really interesting because being on the national stage, mm-hmm. um, on the one hand, wasn't as um, intimidating as it might have been because I'd had this experience with diverse and complex organizations. But I quickly learned, quickly, 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 that National policy is really hard, right? I mean, you know, I had been the one, like anyone else, like, oh, I could just get my projects done so much more quickly if we didn't have this big bureaucratic government and, you know, federal government in place. And then I, once I'm on the other side going, oh, I get it now, right? right. Like OMB, just, yes, Office of Management and Budget. It changes your life once you figure out what that is. But the point there was that you had to make national policy that worked in a Native American reservation in South Dakota, no. in Alaska, in Arizona, in New York. And I dealt with all of it. And so that was a very humbling as well as empowering mm-hmm. place to be, to appreciate that you could make impactful change. Mm-hmm. But that it was really difficult and to, to appreciate that. So having, um, and, you know, we can touch on some specifics particularly, but then moving from there to Los Angeles Metro was another interesting circle in the arc. I was born and raised in L.A., um, so kind of coming home in that regard was really interesting. I had not lived in L.A. for 30 years, and that was a city that had foundationally changed, mm-hmm. um, particularly after the recession. Um, one of the things that, though, was really important for me and it gets to this equity um, focus that's uh, such an important part of this conference, it was the first time I'd worked actually for an agency that had to deliver service on the street. I was working for the third largest transit operator in the country. Most people don't know that. LA has the third largest transit agency in the country. And when you have to get the buses on the road, deal with the trains being on time, dealing with things that can affect people's lives just in time. It changes 
the culture of an organization. It changes how you make decisions. You realize you don't have time to vet everything 16 ways to Sunday. Sometimes you just need to make it and go. And so being able to do that and manage risk in a very different way was extremely helpful. Now coming back to MTC to figure out how our policy wraps around the reality of actually doing things. So it's really, it's an, a very interesting arc for me to So have. you've really sort of migrated on the front end of your career by sort of the operational aspects of some of these very complex problems which you really had to handle. Moving then to the policy side and trying to develop national policy to solve some of these really complex uh, issues. Try Only- to solve. Try to solve, (laughs) yes, only to come back around uh, and try again in Los Angeles. So now you're back in the Bay Area. You're back, right? And you have a very, very long history of really managing complex organizations, but also dealing with very complex problems. So can you, for the uh, for the sake of the audience, talk a little bit about what you think are the most unique aspects of really uh, MTC or the Metropolitan Transportation uh, Commission. Uh, what makes that so unique uh, as an organization uh, and really comment on that? From an organizational standpoint, and, and again, I think this conference is going to be very interesting in terms of looking at the nature of institutions and organizations and then what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm and how that relationship works. At least for MTC, one of the things that um, was evident, you know, in the, certainly in the 25 years that I was there, was that unlike many other MPOs, we were richly resourced. There was a lot of actual funding and money mm-hmm. available to us to do things. And that was a very unique uh, circumstance from the way that we were set up mm-hmm. um, under our state-enabling statute, um, without getting into all the weeds there, but it that expanded dramatically at the point we also became the Bay Area Toll Authority and took over the funding and finance of the seven state-owned toll bridges in the nine counties, San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, so that was a okay. huge leap and change for the organization. Huh. Um, because we had skin in the game, we had influence in ways that a lot of other planning organizations didn't. And I, I was just, I was actually interestingly part of a big discussion about how to improve MPOs and their impact as part of um, the Obama administration and mm-hmm. under Secretary Anthony Fox, they had a deep interest in there. And I kept coming back to the point, but if they don't have resources to influence decisions, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And, and I think that's just proved, you know, true time and time again. The second thing is that we have a lot of regional talent in this in this area. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at the number of, you know, academic institutions that are here. You know, the staff we have are incredibly talented. They come from, you know, all over the country, but mostly a lot of it, you know, from here. And mm-hmm. and there's an opportunity, although we'll talk about that opportunity not being available to all, but there is certainly a, uh, a, a richness of professionals, um, organizations, um, and, and, um, you know, academic and professionally, the, the environment here is, is pretty unique. And it gave us a presence on the state and federal stage that was really important. People knew us and listened to us in ways, I think, that oh. were 
different because of where we came from and, and oh, interesting. you know, the yeah. mix of, you know, our commissioners and the like. Third is that well, that's, that's unique, I think, to MTC. Well, not, I've come to realize not as unique as I like to think when I got out the bubble of when going to the, to, yeah, so that was one of the things going to the federal government. People said, you know, I know you're from San Francisco, but you're not as special as you think. <laughs> so that was a good thing. It was a good thing. Um, but one of the things that was really important also about being in this complex enforcement environment, we were forced to partner and continue to be forced to partner in ways that are very different than other areas of the country. So as an example, in LA, LA is as complicated as the Bay Area, there's 88 cities in L.A. County. One single county is as large and has more people and has almost as many cities as the San Francisco Bay Area. But it's law, the city of Los Angeles mm-hmm. is a very dominant force in a way that we don't see that same dynamic here. So yeah. there's there's a sharing of uh, and shifting of, of power and influence mm-hmm. that has forced people to have to collaborate. How well we've done could be talk, discussed, but it's always been there. And I think that unique um, sort of force field of partnership is something that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that really is true. Uh, unlike a lot of other cities, um, having been here in the Bay Area and dealing with and uh, talking with different organizations, whether it's the ac- academic institutions, local business or nonprofits, there is a different sort of dynamic here that you don't find. So it isn't so much the city of San Francisco as much as it really is the collaboration around the Bay uh, that really makes things happen. And MTC is right in the middle of, of all of that. Right. Well, you know, uh, one of the things, um, you know, this whole conference that we've done over the past couple of years, uh, we've really focused on, you know, innovate for good. Um, and from an MTC standpoint, what does innovate for good mean to you as the executive director now of MTC? And given what you've seen in your experience? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to. I want to unpack that question very carefully, Liz, because there's mm-hmm. two key things there that were that, as I thought about it, were really meaningful to me. The first yeah. is, you know, what does good mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm very unequivocal on that point. Mm-hmm. Good is improving the lives of the people who live here, and especially for those that are less fortunate and have been historically underserved. I think it's that simple for me. At the end of the day, that's the metric yeah. about what we do as good. Now, that may be to some degree a very public sector perspective, but it's one that in my comments I'll challenge we all need to have. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. we, can, we can turn to that. With respect to innovate, I, you know, again, I thought about that too, because innovation can be tossed around mm-hmm. in, in many different ways. So for me and the portfolio that MTC has, which is much more complex than it used to be, let me just touch on three things. One, there's innovate from the point of view of technology. That's what everyone loves to talk about and get to. And in transportation, it's, you know, automated vehicles and it's alternative fuels and it's, you know, the consumer apps that are changing the face of service delivery and it's all that. But one of the things, there's a couple of things though that are very interesting in that space. One is the challenge of the rapidity of the change. Mm -hmm. Because when you are particularly in the public sector, 
keeping up with it mm-hmm. is a huge challenge. And I get, and, and it gets to something that again, when we talk about institutions and how the public and private sector relate or don't, mm-hmm. there's a friction there that, that is, is important to think through. The second observation on the technology side is, you know, this whole idea of disruption. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can tell I have some thoughts about that. But the main thing for me is that disruption generally means something breaks. And when something breaks, there's damage left behind, and who's accountable for that? That's the question that I think is really important when we're thinking about this disruptive change. That that's fine, and many times that requires us to advance, but it's never clean. And I think we just need to be important there. And then, and quickly, the two other things on the on a finan- financing or funding. Yep. I think innovation there is huge. We have complex projects, none of which have a single funding source ever. Now, when you're talking generally now billions of dollars to deliver, mm-hmm. and it means that the kinds of funding packages that need to be brought together and the financing that's attached to that and whatnot is very, very different. Public-private partnerships are shifting greatly in that space. And then, um, you know, innovation and governance, mm. I think, is a huge part of what innovation needs to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, who is at the table to influence decisions yep. and who's making them? And importantly, who's not at the table and why and how do you get them there? Mm-hmm. So right now, MTC, you know, importantly, is tackling a very real governance um, uh, uh, challenge or, or mandate relative to the institution of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and then the Association of Area Governments was a separate organization. And, you know, to overly simplify transportation and land use, of course, mm-hmm. all of these things are being tied together right now. And um, the staffs are now combined, and the two governing boards will be considering what does possibly a new regional governance look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a, a key time, given this topic and what we're dealing with here, for that conversation to, to take place. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now, back to our program. Well, you know, uh, one of the things, uh, two of the things that you identified, you know, for MTC... Uh, and really sort of this whole idea of, of innovating for good are keeping up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also this idea of disruption. You know, uh, MTC is going to have a lot of challenges sort of going forward, and we had talked a little bit about this. Um, so I want to ask you what, what you think are some of the key challenges for MTC beyond just simply keeping up and, and you know, the disruption, new standards mm-hmm. being developed uh, almost every day. Um, you know, recently the Mercury News and Silicon Valley Leadership Group uh, went out and did, you know, solicited and did a poll uh, on the Bay Area uh, rating Problems facing the Bay Area is extremely serious or very serious, uh, somewhat serious. Um, 
And at the top of that list, uh, people responded by identifying housing, you know, the cost of living, homelessness, and traffic congestions. Are these the kinds of things that MTC will take <laughs> on or are really sort of what you would see as key challenges for building partnerships? I take that uh, almost as a rhetorical question. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and, and I talk about a lead. Right. And not, and not to make light of any of it because it is, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, I was thinking about what's changed in the 10 years yeah. since I came back. Right. And the ho- the housing situation is just insane. Yeah. I, 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 there's almost not enough adjectives to try to describe what that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'll just use a, a really personal example. Ironically, I was in Los Angeles and the LA Times had an article about the housing in San Francisco. <laughs> so, but, you know, we're all one state. Happy family. Um, but I sent that, I sent that link to both of my daughters and said, you know, you both need to think that you may not be able to come home to live. Mm. You may not be able to afford to come here. You can come and live with dad and I again, (laughs) but just... Start getting your head around the fact that may not be in your immediate future. And that made me very sad. It made me very sad. And I think for any of you who have, you know, children or or relatives or friends, they're struggling. Now there's a whole cadre that gets a lot of attention that aren't, but there's a huge generation that is. And they're here. Or they want to be here. And so housing, I, it, it, it just is. It is the topic in Sacramento right yeah. now. Um, the, there's hundreds of bills, literally, that are dealing with housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an issue. Um, the This region, b- before I came under uh, exec- the former executive director, Steve Hemminger, had done some very front-facing work called the CASA Initiative, looking at some very bold um, proposals of how to begin to deal with the preservation and the protections and the production challenges associated with housing. A number of those themes are being carried forward right now in terms of framing bills and legislation around it, and we will be front and center leading that. In fact, I'm, you know, uh, uh, with my team and my commissioners initiating a housing legislative working group that will be evaluating every single week from now through at least mid-May what these Sacramento bills look like and what they might mean for this region. I mean, it's that that wow. central right. on, on transport. Again, that's kind of my wheelhouse. Again, mm-hmm. that's a really cute analogy, right? Wheelhouse. Um, but transportation, um, uh, it's again, one of those complex issues. And, and I'm right. sensitive to the fact there's a lot of folks going, why isn't it better? 10 years in, it's not better. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of reasons why it's not quote better. Mm-hmm. Maybe because there's a lot more people and more jobs, thousands and thousands and thousands of more jobs. There's limited, you know, geographic space. There's all those things, not as excuses, but just to illustrate the fact that these moving people around this region yeah. is incredibly difficult. Um, we don't have enough money for the infrastructure. We're struggling, as many urban areas are, with 
underwriting and repairing what we have and then having to deal with needing to do a lot more. And on top of that, what we just talked about, the technologies and options changing under our feet. So it's incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it speaks to a different way of policy making that's going to be something that hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll be able to work with lots of partners to get my heads around. Um, let me just mention a couple of other things. Economic disparity. I, yeah. it, it, it's just there and we have to have to deal with it. Uh, climate driven impacts, lest we forget, we are at the bay and what do we have? Like, record drought, and then when is it going to stop raining? So, you know, for California itself, I mean, just in the span of two years, you've seen this massive swings that, you know, speak to those natural ecological challenges. So I think with all of that, the greatest challenge is not the subject, but how we approach them. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to evaluate, plan for, and deliver within the intersectionality of those issues. Mm -hmm. You cannot talk about transportation without talking about housing. You can't talk about housing without talking about jobs. You can't talk about jobs without the state of education. It's all linked together. And if we we need to get out of our silos and start approaching these problems in a deliberate, intersectional way if we're going to really deal with them. So so you really you know have to adopt almost a systems approach to dealing with the uh, the problems. But the other thing that uh you know in advance of this conversation uh Teresa and I talked a little bit about this and one of the other things that you really thematically identified uh, as the, one of the key challenges is just the theme itself of access and equity. While you have the movement of the technology and we have housing problems and it's all systemic, it's really a challenge of how do you provide access for everybody and equity uh, as well. So how can we then you know, in the face of all these highly complex situations and issues, innovate and lead in, in the face of those challenges. I mean, what what is your, the spearhead of that and and the inspiration that, that you'll yeah. bring to helping us solve some of these really complex problems? You know, I found in my career that when you have complex issues. You can get overwhelmed with them very quickly. Yeah. And you can fall into the trap of trying to do everything at the same time, which basically means you just spin and don't really move forward at all. So, you know, it, it breaks down for me as you have to stop and set really clear objectives and frame a game plan. And that game plan has to be about priorities and making choices and realizing you will have trade-offs. We are in a resource-constrained environment, and you will have trade-offs. That's why something like equity is so critical to have that as an objective at the front end, not the back. Too often what's happened is we make decisions and find out that someone either has not been served or has been hurt, and we mitigate it. Okay. That was the, the, you know, delivering transportation projects. That was sort of the thing. That was the way we did it with CEQA and NEPA and that type of approach. And I think we're backing out of that to go, no, no, no. We have to think about people at the front end of every single decision. And so I, you know, that's a, a foundational thing. The other thing, and you know, it sounds trite, except it's really hard because I keep trying to do it 35 years in is 
break down silos, or as I'm fond of saying, our cylinders of excellence. <laughs> um, we can do it. We can reach across. So, you know, that's, that again is something though that has to be very deliberate. And one of the th- interesting things that I found in my work, um, at FTA and at LA Metro, now I'm asking the question here at MTC, mm-hmm. is being humble enough in some ways to say, where do you lead and then where do you partner? Yeah. Okay. And thinking about that up front is really important. And admitting sometimes you might not be the best person to lead, but you could bring something incredibly valuable to the partnership of getting something done. So I think that's a key part. Um, embrace flexibility and risk taking. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say for public sector, that's really hard. Yeah. Because traditionally the private sector has had a lot more room to take risks than the public sector ever has. You know, the private, you, you know, you have venture capital and startups and profits that, you know, depending on where you go, kind of doesn't matter how you get there as long as you have that bottom line. The public sector have ne- has never had that luxury. If you mess up, you are held accountable in a very visible, unforgiving way. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that it's been. And unless we change that, unless the public sector is also able to try things out, maybe to stumble, but learn from that yeah. and change and not be vilified for it, mm-hmm. you, if we don't change that, the, the government and the public sector has very little motivation to take risk and try and innovate. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something we need to think about of how that can be, you know, built into, to how we work. And then finally, and this is really important, build trust with the public. Yeah. We have to consciously want to do that. And that's as much, you know, viewing outcomes from the standpoint of the customer experience, Mm -hmm. not from how well your institution does. That's a start. Second, there is, you know, come up with a common language explaining why you're doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, basically be accountable to the people you serve. So, uh, really, being um, a risk taker, but at the same time, your role has been to absorb a lot of the risk and the fallout uh, for others uh, who've sort of moved ahead. So the challenge is, how do you actually collaborate and not just absorb all the risk from everything around you, uh, and then build that public trust uh, with the customers, uh, so that they really can rely on, on MTC to help do the right thing in service to the customer. So we, we, uh, are at the end of our time. I have some questions now from the audience, uh, that I'd like to move to, uh, at this point. And, um, so let me start with transportation. Uh, one of our guests in the audience uh, would like to uh, hear a comment on what's happening with the bullet train uh, project <laughs> from LAX to uh, I taken, SFO. I uh, knowing that you've been in both places, we are hoping you'll solve this problem. Oh, yeah. So tell I us what you're route. thinking. Um, okay, I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna try to, I'm not gonna, what's, what's the right term? I'm gonna tread this very carefully. Yes. Um, tread lightly. Well, I would, I would say this. Particularly 
at LA Metro, because with Measure M and the massive capital program that they were able to launch in terms of building, uh, particularly building out rail, but also revamping the bus and everything, um, Union Station was was a, a center point, right? And mm-hmm. and what we had to do was design not to preclude high speed rail. And it was an interesting exercise because, of course, we're trying to bring other things like into this very fixed physical space, and at the same time, keep room for this incredibly important mobility initiative for the state mm-hmm. at a time when schedule and funding are huge question marks. Yeah. So I, I point to that to say, I think that's the same thing that's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to go back to my point about flexibility and the, you know, the mm-hmm. need to, 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 to pivot to circumstance. Yep. I have to write that down. Pivot to circumstance. Um, you know, the governor, I think, is bringing a, a, a very key sensibility to wrapping our arms about what we can deliver to the public. I think that's been a a major challenge with the project. It's extremely complex. It's huge. It's, it's huge. It's huge. And I, I think for the Bay area, one of the things that we will need to do similar down to LA is look at and it's something I'm going to direct my staff to do. Just look at all of our projects and programs and say, where did we anticipate the connections to be? Right. That just down the street, right? We mm-hmm. built the box under the Transbay terminal for it. But just to lay that out and say, if this is still an unknown, what can we do to work around it that doesn't preclude it, but also doesn't right. stifle right. making improvements we have to do now? Right. That's going to be our challenge, basically. Right. Well, in the context of, you know, the trans, the very complicated transportation mm-hmm. issues, I mean, the audience has several different questions, uh, related to this. So it's not just what's the status of, you know, the, the bullet train. It's everything from, you know, do you really support, for example, congestion pricing like New York? Uh, cause in the absence of, you know, a definitive answer, let's say on the bullet train, we still have have congestion and what will we do about that? Is that something MTC will even consider? You know, the, this whole idea of congestion pricing and then uh, correspondingly, what's on deck for new modes uh, of transportation, sort of expanded routes? I mean, it's a highly complex issue. Can you comment yeah. on any of that? So, um, for anyone who's ever been in a leadership role, the one thing you know is mm-hmm. who really makes the decisions. And Therese McMillan, as executive director, reports to her board. Yeah. I, yeah. But it's an important point. Very important point. It's a very important point. Yes. And, and the board, um, my two boards now, you know, ABAG and, and the commissioners, yep. as public elected officials, I mean, are also have a responsibility to everyone right. who's living here. So you, I see that, again, it's important to always remember that context, mm-hmm. that in the public sector, you have to remember that's where the decision-making structure happens. That said, one of the things, there's, there's a couple of things that I have found that I would hopefully bring in my role as executive director are for them to make the best decisions, 
they need lots of reliable information and they need choices and they need tools. That's going to make their decisions work better every single time. So with congestion pricing, again, we need to do the best job we can mm-hmm. to bring information. Where does it work well? What are the impacts? What's been the experience? How might it, you know, everyone, you know, where it's been done. It's, you know, what's different about Singapore and Stockholm compared to San Francisco, right? And be able to illustrate that. That's important. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of choices, um, I think you always have to have choices. The one thing that has never served anyone well is to say there is only one way and it's a straight line from A to B. Yeah. Because probably that's not going to happen. Yep. Right? So again, something like congestion pricing is something in a toolbox to say it has potential. Yeah. But what are all the steps we need to take to get there? And let's talk about them, yeah. including things like who would it impact pro and con in terms of the fact that it is a pricing mechanism. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't think we, we also have to be bold enough and risk taking enough, which is often hard for the public sector to look at these different things and go, let's not dis- dismiss it out of hand because it's different. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it, it, because we don't, own, we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I think we've got to push ourselves to get into that space of discomfort and be able to take the risks, and if we, it doesn't pan out, be able to respond mm-hmm. to whatever fallout came of that, regroup, and move ahead. So, so now I'm, I, you know, in the face of once again all these highly complex issues, um, and on a landscape where you're hearing from so many different leaders and so many different sectors. You know, the audience really wants to know is how do you personally, and, and this is true. We had this conversation, uh, before, uh, this, uh, interview that we're doing today. One of the things that Therese really talked about was how central sort of the issues of equity, uh, and access are for her. So, you know, how, how do you personally sort of, keep the value structure sort of moving in the right direction at the end of the day with so many people sort of coming at you. Uh, can you comment on that? What keeps you sane? Is it yoga? It is yoga. No, uh, I, there you go. No, and, and I have to say there's a lot of choices for yoga in the San Francisco Bay Area, so that's a good thing. Um, you know... How do you stay Many centered? years... How do you stay centered? Yeah. Many... Many, you know, years ago, I, f- I, I felt pulled in a lot of different directions. Right. And one of the interesting things, there was, there was two really lessons there that were really helpful. One, um, when I went to the Federal Transit Administration, I went as a political appointee. Okay, there are two very different groups of people in Washington. The career for the federal government and political appointees, which come with an administration, which means you know when you are out of a job. So you kind of, you know, it's pretty clear. You have four years. If you're lucky, maybe more, and we won't guarantee you that. And it quickly changed your perspective. Like, okay, what can I do now? Right? So that, that sense of focus of of time, Mm -hmm. you're just saying, 
I have to make choices and priorities of yep. what I'm going to focus on in this time frame was a very helpful exercise to get away from the, I'm responsible for everything all at right. one time, because then you right. just can't function. So that's one thing. But the second was really getting round. And I think it was a lot of the work that I did at FTA. Um, it was very equity centric. Um, I led a complete top to bottom rebuilding of title six, um, uh, our whole, you know, department of, um, civil rights, you know, went on again, a top to bottom review while I was there. Um, federal transit was the first agency to actually operationalize environmental justice as, you know, an administrative process and procedure. Um, and that led me around the country and, you know, I was having public meetings in Detroit at the height of the recession. Yeah, yeah, that was rough. And, and when you go through that, it also centers you back to at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. if you focus on what it takes to make people's lives better, Mm -hmm. that's the centering part. Mm -hmm. You know, you build everything else around it. And I'm not saying that's easy at all. Um, because there's a lot of other things that can pull at that. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's what I hope to, you know, bring forward as, you know, a, a focal point. One of the things I did at LA Metro was develop an equity platform, mm-hmm. which way was a way of thinking of equity in every line of LA Metro business, from operations to planning to mm-hmm. project development, the whole thing. And and it was welcome. And and once you kind of set out a framework of just how to think about how we treat each other in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of the work that we do, it helps. It doesn't make it necessarily easier, mm-hmm. but it makes things more clear often when you're faced with choices. Well, let me end uh, the conversation today. We have a lot of students in the audience. Um, and so I'll ask you, you know, what is the advice you would give to our students uh, who are aspiring to be leaders in, in complex organizations? What advice would you give them today, given your experience? I think you actually said it, or Dean Heller did. No matter where you end up, whether you're in the public sector, in the private sector, or philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Be a partner to solve the problems we see. Co-own the problems Mm. and the solutions. If we can do that, then that's what we can do to advance. I think too often partnerships are of convenience, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I have time now or I've got money now, or I've got um, interest now. Mm -hmm. The problems are so big and in our face, we don't have the luxury of choosing to involve ourselves as a matter of convenience. It's a matter of need. And I think if all of you, particularly you younger folks that will, and I have two of my my, uh, uh, young leaders here with me from MTC, you, you know, maybe this current generation, myself included, didn't leave you all the best to work with. <laughs> Sorry. But that said, really we tried, over here. but that said, work with us 
on the foundations that you, that we did give you to build on. And um, hopefully I, I would love in my space here for as long as I have it to be a partner in that exercise. Therese McMillan, thank you so much for this conversation today.